Tate Robinson on. He's and there's goal of the season, Frank Murphy. Juliano Grazioli. Oh, absolute quality. I'm sure most people would say I was mad. Oh, Ryan Hello and welcome along to another episode of the Downhill Second Half Podcast. As ever, joining me, Ian DL, a man who takes such pride and finesse in his data inputting that the final tap of that enter button after a hard day's excel is always hit like Leon Bell's winner against Norwich in 2001, with aplomb. It's our podcast producer, James Harrison. Wasn't not that game, I'm going to have to take your word for it, so appreciate that one, thank you. Good goal, good goal. And alongside him, a man more shady, complex and mysterious than the disappearance into the footballing abyss of Robbie Sawyers. It's Mr. Craig Clayton. Thank you. We do need to get Robbie Sawyers. Yeah, we've got to track him down. He was very good. Got to track him down. And once again today, our three is a four, and that's thanks to the presence of a great Barnet number five. Still the B's most expensive ever sign-in, a record now standing for more than 23 years, a leader and colossus at the back over a six-year spell at Underhill. Worth every penny. Captain through some good times, bad times and plenty in between. A man with a groovy nickname, but something of a dark side too. Legend has it Martin Carruthers is still hiding from him somewhere down in that tunnel. It's Greg Hill. Good evening, chaps. I don't recognise any or remember anything you said about that, but uh, <laughs> good, good evening, everyone. Good evening, Greg. Look, Greg, um, normally when we start these things, we ask, uh, we ask what people knew about Barnett before they joined. But frankly, since we did the Darren Curry one, and he mentioned you or referred to you as Groovy, we've, uh, we've basically been waiting to hear the story behind that nickname. So um, as long as it's not an offensive one and we've got the wrong end of the stick, do you mind uh, enlightening us? Yeah, I mean, it's weird sometimes how um, nicknames stick, but it actually, I think, goes back to when I was at Peterborough. And uh, we had a lot of characters at Peterborough. And it's one of those clubs that when you go there, you need to get stuck in fully. And uh, like I say, we had some characters and we had some nights out and uh, we went to some clubs and we, we did a bit of uh, dancing and messing around or whatever. And I, th I think it stems from that, that I was uh, messing around on the dance floor one night. And there was a guy called Tony Spearing, who used to play fullback, a uh, bit of a legend, played for Leicester, Leicester and obviously a lot of games at Peterborough. And next morning at training, he called me Groovy Greg. And, <laughs> uh, and, and it's funny, isn't it? that's how it sticks. And then obviously there's quite a few players um, from Peterborough who went to Barnet. So when I went to Barnet to start with, I thought I'd got rid of that nickname, but no, it follows you around. And, uh, and then that's obviously how, uh, you know, a lot of the players still, still call me. I, I speak to John Doolan, uh, still quite regular. And um, I probably haven't heard that nickname for about 10, 15 years. That <laughs> was, I grew, how are you doing? You know, <laughs> but yeah, so that, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, no, not not the obvious name. So as we said, the sort of style of player maybe you were, and the, the image on the pitch didn't didn't exactly uh, look like a groovy dancer. But that's uh, thank you for clearing that one up because that was uh, yeah a point we were, we were interested to kind of find out about to start with today. Um, going back way before Peterborough and Barnet, um, obviously you started your career uh, where you were born in Enfield. Obviously, well, I know you started in the academy at Norwich before that, but you kind of got your big break in the first team um, at Enfield in the sort yeah, of... Don't, don't hold that against me, please. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say, obviously, that, that was at the sort of tail end of the, the big rivalry between the two clubs. Obviously, Barnet fans still sing about Enfield and whatever else, and we were certainly all kind of brought up supporting Barnet in the late 90s, early 2000s. 
you know, being told we hate Enfield, despite Enfield even by then being a little bit kind of below any anywhere where we were. Um, I just wondered, though, obviously, that's that's where you, you began your career. Did you see Barnet initially as a bit of a rival? Was there, was there any feeling of that playing for Enfield, or was it kind of already a bit in the past and you were just focused on your own career development at that point? No, I was, I was very aware of the rivalry. You know, I I, um, I was born in Percival Road, you know, probably less about half a mile from Southbury Road, you know, the football stadium. I then lived in Southbury Road. So Enfield was the club that I traditionally used to go and watch. You know, I used to walk down Southbury Road and, and go and watch it with my mates. Um, and it was brilliant. You know, it's great to go and see non-league football that really meant something. I mean, it's you're too young, but, you know, non-league at that time, you know, it was it was full on. And there were some good sides. And Enfield was a very good side. It had players like David Howe, you know, who I think played for Barnet at some time. It had Steve King, yeah. you know, all these great players. And at that time, as much as I can remember, and I know I've already told you that my memory's shocking, but um, <coughs> Barnet was sort of similar standard, really. Um, you know, and the, the games they used to play uh, were big derbies, you know, really big derbies. But um, I was young at the time and... Although I grew up in Enfield, um, when I did go to Barnet, it wasn't like I was joining a, a club that was my, you know, had been my rivals. It was, I was from that area. I was from North London, you know, and, uh, and I was so made up to be, to be playing for a club, you know, coming all the way from Peterborough, you know, travelling an hour and a half up the A1 um, with all the boys. I'm sure you've heard that story. I think Gratzi mentioned it. We used to get in the car and, it was like wacky races going up the A1. I mean, that's a, that's a podcast in itself, the stories <laughs> going up there. Um, Have you got any you can share with us, Greg? Too many. I could write a book, actually. Um, <laughs> you know, it, the, literally, the first, um, the first guy I used to go up with was uh, Paul Moran. I don't know if you remember Paul Moran. He, used, he was sort of super sub at, uh, at Tottenham. He had a nice career at Tottenham. Uh, John Steele signed him at Peterborough. And he lived in Enfield. And at that time, I lived in Enfield and we used to travel up. Um, but then, like, so Gary Breen, Scott McLeish, and then Grazzi joined. And we had uh, Gregor Rioc. Um, you know, and, that was, and there was a few more, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, you know, all weathers. I remember Sean Farrell was another one. We used to meet him at Langford, um, up the A1. Um, I remember going up the A1 once with him and there was a few of us in the car and it was raining. And all of a sudden, he's lost control of the car. He's done a 360 on the A1, corrected itself, and we drive on as normal. Um, <laughs> we used to um, we used to stop off at uh, you know call ourselves athletes. We used to stop off at you know the local sort of um, drive side drive side calf and just get bacon rolls, egg rolls, you name it. And then ten minutes later, you know we're training. Um, Billy Manuel was another one. Uh, he was another one who used to travel up with us. He was a bit of a ringleader with the bacon rolls, um, if you can imagine. Um, another time I'm driving up there, I'm driving all the boys, and I've got this little old uh, diesel Peugeot 205. And all of a sudden, we hear a, a, a scraping and scratching noise, and I'm going about 80 miles an hour. Sorry, 70 miles an hour. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I look in my rear view mirror, and the spare wheel that um, was attached to the underside of the car had fallen down. So the cradle had fallen down. I look in my rear view mirror and I've got the, the spare wheel bouncing along the A1 with cars dodging in and out of my wheel going backwards and forwards. So um, <laughs> pulled over, went and collected it. You know, that, that could have been ugly. 
but um, but no, it was it was really good days. You know, it was it was times where we all bonded. Um, you know, going to training. You know, you weren't allowed to go to sleep in the car. Um, if you went to sleep, then you know, woe betide you if you if you try to fall asleep. Um, yeah, and it, it was good times, and it got us really bonded, and and that was great for Peterborough, and obviously coming back to Barnet and some of those boys following, like I say, Billy Manuel, um, obviously Gratzi, and uh, you know, it, it just made us closer, and you know, days that I I really fondly remember. It was good times. Yeah, you worked. You worked with. Um, that was John that too much? Sorry, I've, I've taken up half the podcast. No, honestly, no, no, <laughs> no, no. Please, please go into as much detail as you want. You know, we've we've had. Whatever uh, you remember. Yeah, whatever you remember. Whatever you remember, just say it all. Like I say, I, I don't remember football. I just remember the stupid times. But yeah, <laughs> no, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. That's what we want. <laughs> yeah. yeah, tell us about that goal. You see. no, no. Um, <laughs> Uh, you worked with you worked with John Still at Peterborough, and then he signed you for Barnet. and And Ian alluded to it was the record signing for Barnet at the time, and still continues to be for this day. I think it's one hundred and thirty thousand pounds that we paid for you. Excuse me, one hundred and thirty six, if you don't mind. One hundred and thirty six. One hundred and thirty six pound fifty. Yeah. Uh, really? <laughs> well, we'll make sure we get that right next time. Yes. Um, did you obviously feel Tony? With... Tony didn't declare that in his books, so you have to uh... <laughs> <laughs> noted. Well, yeah, uh, well I'm well, glad. Uh... <laughs> did you feel? Did you did you did you feel with that price tag? Uh, was there any pressure on you joining a club like Barnet with that with that amount of money, or was there apprehension or excitement? How did you feel like coming to a club after uh, after that transfer fee was paid for you? No, it was uh, it was a big compliment. You know, it was a big compliment for. Because um, John Steele's a character, as you know, and as all the players have uh, probably alluded to, he's a big character, larger than life type of guy. Um, and sometimes you never know really where you stand with him. You know, he's uh, your best mate sometimes, as a lot of managers are. You know, and next time he, he doesn't want to talk to you. You know, he's, they're they're the sort of managers we had in our days, and, and I think there's still a few of them around. Um, so when I was at Peterborough. You know, obviously he signed me from Enfield, which was, again, a big compliment, taking me out of uh, non-league football and moving up a few leagues. So that was that was good. Um, but then sometimes you don't know where you stand. So for a manager to have that confidence in you, to take you, um, you know, as the, the record signing, is a big compliment. And it makes you feel wanted. I think every player wants to feel wanted when they, they play football. Um, you know, sometimes when I hear... Managers saying that we've got three or four players in the same position and, and this competition is, is great and it keeps players on their toes. It's all right to a certain degree, but my my belief and my thinking is there's nothing better than a player, as long as you've got the right characters, you know, feeling secure in his position, he feels confident, he knows that if he does have a bad game or even a bad, you know, half a game, 10 minutes, that he's not going to be dragged and, uh, you know, replaced. So, you know, it was it was an honour. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's listen. It's not it's not a uh, hundred million. It's not a Gareth Bale type of figure. But in those circles, in in you know lower leagues, it was a it was a nice. Because I think Ken Charlery had he'd been record signing for about two weeks before me, so I, I took his mantle. <laughs> so no, clearly, it was clearly it was splashing the cat, clearly splashing the cash at the start of that season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously you worked with John Steele at Peterborough then for a long, long time at Barnet. Do you think that 
would you say that sort of relationship between the two? You, know, you alluded to the fact he was maybe a little bit hard to predict at times and whatever else. But do you think that relationship between you was maybe your, your kind of best within within football during your time of playing for different managers? Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I learned a lot from John Steele. You know, love him or hate him. You know, and every player goes through those emotions with John Steele at some point in their career. Um, you know, you learn a lot from him. You know, there's still things, I'm sure, with all the players that played under him that they will not forget. And they, in their careers, they will use his sayings. You know, he uh, he loved a phrase. He loved, you know, uh, uh, instilling things in you that you don't forget. Um, and it holds true, you know, for, for all leagues, even up to the Premier League. You know, I see things and I still got John Steele's sayings in my head, you know, and... I think John Steele is a big one on trust. The players that play under him, he's got to trust them 100% with. And I think he's changed now as a manager when I've seen some of his games and his teams. But I think the clubs that he was at, especially when he went to Peterborough, because he went there and again, they were in, we were in League One at the time. Um, that It was a very small budget and he had to sign some non-league players. You know, he signed myself and there was a few others, Simon Clark and... Obviously, Gary Breen come from, from Gillingham. And so he signed some, you know, players on not a lot of money. And so he had a way of playing. And it was the same at Barnet. You know, at Barnet, he signed players that we weren't on great money. We weren't on unbelievable money. And everything was on a budget at Barnet. And, it, you know, it could well still be, as far as I know. Um, so he had to make do with the best that he could. So with that, he had a system and he had to make sure that everyone bought into that system um, and didn't veer from it at all. So I'd like to think that, um, well, I'm sure, otherwise he wouldn't have taken me to, to both clubs, that he knew that if he told me something, I would do it, you know. And, you know, I remember one game, I listened to Warren Goodhine's uh, podcast, you know, and uh, <laughs> I remember there was a pre-season game, and I'm not sure if Warren spoke about it, actually, in his podcast, but... It was a pre-season game and John still had a, a method of you get the ball, you throw it down the line. Uh, did Warren speak about it? I'm not sure. No, but, uh, but I do remember. No, I definitely remember it. Definitely yeah, remember it. And uh, the, the, uh, the kick-off routine as well was a boot into the corner so we, so we get a throw in far up in the uh, opposition half. That was definitely... Yeah, yeah. And that's not quite the same as West Ham because they did it under Harry Redknapp, didn't they? Because he was in a bit of betting and he... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The first... <laughs> The first throw in after 20 seconds or whatever. But um, so Warren, you know, he had to throw it down the line, you know, even if nobody was there, you know, because as soon as you pick the ball up, the centre forward would know where it's going and he can obviously anticipate that and get there before the full back, the centre half. And even if nobody was there, you had to throw it down the line. And his words were, look, I won't, I won't ever, I won't do his voice. I'm, I'm pretty good at his voice. But um, <laughs> I'll throw it, throw it down the line. He said, I won't have a go at you. He said, I'll be rollicking is the, uh, the centre forward. So anyway, I think Warren got the ball when he was uh, just inside the opposition half. So he got the ball for a throw in. There was nobody down the line. And I think it might have been John Doolan was, uh, was inside, unmarked um, for, a, for a square throw. Anyway, so he's throwing it to John Doolan. You know, a nice throw straight to his, to his uh, right foot. And... Um, John Steele's going absolutely mad on the side. Get, get him off. Get him off. And uh, so I think it was the physio, John Stannard. What? Get him off. Get him off. He hasn't done what I've said. So before you know it, he holds a, 
the board up or whatever, drags Warren, Warren comes off not knowing what's going on, what, what's going on. And um, basically didn't talk to him. You know, he, he made a point. If I tell you to do something, you do it. And uh, you don't veer from that, you know, so can be very harsh sometimes, but, you know, he knew that he had a way of playing and everyone had to buy in that because if 10 people are doing it and one doesn't, that can let you down, you know? So, uh, so yeah, so, so that's, uh, I forgot what I was talking about. What was I talking about? Why Simon? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, no, uh, we, we, we've spoken to a few players from that era um, over the course of time and they've all sort of said quite similar stories. And the word that stuck out for me was regimented. And the way that you've described it there was, was quite similar to that. Like, throw it down the line or else you're getting subbed. I'm sure that wouldn't have happened in a league game where he's only got limited number of subs. But, uh, yeah, um, he was to that level. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past him. I wouldn't put it past <laughs> him. Um, you know, regimented is, is a good word. You know, I don't want to do a disservice to him because, um, you know, he got a lot of stick at times at, at Peterborough and at Barnet. Um, but like I say, he was playing on a, on a budget. He signed players, you know, like myself. We weren't, I wasn't the most gifted in lots of different areas, but he tried to get the most out of the, the players that he had. Um, and he kept it simple. And, and that worked, you know, it's it, for Peterborough. We, we stayed up in the, in league one, which we were probably favorites to go down in Barnet in the first three years. You know, I think we got playoffs twice, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, that, that doesn't need to be, you know, underestimated. But, you know, regimented, yes, yeah, it's, it's a fair word. I mean, um, I don't know if you can remember, we had a guy on the staff called Alex. It was Alex Armstrong, who was a, who was a trainer, um, worked with us. And he was an ex-Army guy, PT guy. And uh, one of the first pre-seasons I ever had um, was Alex taking us to, to Belfast, to a, an Army training camp. And... Um, yeah, and we, we got to train like the army. You know, there was no holding back. Um, and I don't think that was a bad thing. You know, that instilled a lot of discipline, you know, in, in a lot of the players. So, um, so yeah, fair comment. I, think, I mean, there's no, there's no doubt we got results under it, right? And as you said, two playoffs in two years, and we'll, we'll come through that. And, and obviously some success at Peterborough as well. I think from a, a fan's perspective, um, and, and, you know, coming back to the story you said about the throwing uh, down the line and, and, and obviously we watched Lee Harrison, uh, you know, try and hit the corner flag up the other end for, you know, every time he got the ball for, for however many years. From a fan's point of view, um, when that throwing goes and there isn't a striker there and when that, um, when that goal kick takes place and it goes out, I think, you know, despite results, that's where, or certainly, certainly I would say when, when results start slowing down, that's when um, maybe some of that, that stick kicks in. From your point of view as a player in that, um, is it just a case that you, you do what you're told and, and, that, and, and we just get results? Or is that, is that difficult to play under? It, you know, it's, uh, it's a case of whoever pays the piper calls the tune a little bit, isn't it? You know, it's, um, we're getting paid. We're doing a job. Um, you know, it's the best job in the world. But at the end of the day, at our level, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're not making it in a, a League Two club, you know, you're looking at uh, non-league, you know, if, if nobody else wants you. So to a certain degree, unless you've got the confidence that, you know, I can leave this club and I can go on to bigger and better things if, if I don't do what the manager says, you know, and good luck to those people, you know, and, you know, that, and I think in time he did, you know, there was people like, obviously Darren Curry, you know, who had a, a, a tiny, tiny little bit more flair than myself. Um, 
you know, he, he, we knew Different that, styles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he had nice hair. Um, we knew that he was going to go on to bigger and better things because he was that sort of player. He had that sort of ability. But, um, you know, it all comes down to results, doesn't it? You know, and as fans, sometimes, you know, you need to ask yourself, and it's a difficult one, you know, do you want to see lovely football and not get those results and potentially being in relegation trouble? Or do you want to play a system that might not be the best to see, but does get results? And as you said, you know, two out of the three seasons that era in the playoffs, and then you've got that excitement of getting in the playoffs. You know, it's, um, it's a difficult one. But um, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, you know, you've got to, you've got to do what the manager says. You know, in the I, I remember Mike Basham not doing what the manager said once and that didn't go down too well. I seem to remember words being exchanged. But I, I just wondered as well from your side as well, I mean, they're, they're, not to labour the point too much, but when you can see the fans getting frustrated at a situation like that and you, and you obviously you know the system, you know the tactics, you understand what the objective is. Sometimes when, that, when, when those kind of quite, uh, what's the right phrase without being disrespectful, fairly one-dimensional type tactics, fairly plan A type tactics, don't, yeah. um, don't come off. They can sometimes look a little odd. Is that difficult cause, to kind of, because you understand both sides of the, the coin, I suppose, on that? Yeah, no, I know. I do sympathise with, with fans. You know, they, they want to see the best, don't they? They want to see good football, great football. And then they want to see results as well, you know, but I do sympathise, you know, it's not cheap to go to football now. It's ridiculous, you know. In fact, you know, it's always been, I think, far too expensive to go to a conference game, a League Two game, you know. It's, um, I won't get into that, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, I think, you know, make it half the price and fill up the stadiums and then you can buy merchandise, you can buy your hot dogs and, and you're giving the fans, you know, a good, good experience. But, um, yeah, it's a difficult one. Um, because yeah, when it is a bad game, you know, you're, you're putting people off the sport, you know, you're, you've got these young guys as you probably was in, you know, five or six years of age going to, to watch me play football and thinking, I don't ever want to go to a Barnet game again. You know, I remember <laughs> there was one, it was one game, um, and it was against Lincoln, Lincoln City at home. And this wasn't long after John Steele had, um, had come to Barnet from Lincoln, where he'd been assistant manager at Lincoln under John Beck. And so both both guys knew each other inside out. You know, John knew, um, well, both Johns knew each other's games inside out. And so uh, all week, you know, we was going through everything that Lincoln were going to do. All their free kicks, all their corners, all their throw-ins. We knew exactly what they were going to do. And I'm sure they were doing the same for us. And, you know, he said that they play for set pieces. You know, they've got to realise every set piece they're going to be on it. So we don't give away set pieces. He said, you can, their centre forward could have the ball rolled into his feet back towards goal on the edge of the box. And he will run out wide to try and get a throw in, you know, to, to get yeah. the ball kicked. Because <laughs> they'd rather have a throw in than... <laughs> so we, we kick off and, um, and this was brilliant. So we, we kick off and the ball used to get rolled back to Sam Stockley, who's got not a bad you know, ping on him. Um, was it Sam? Actually, I think it might have been Mickey Hart because I'm seeing it now and I think it was on the left side. So uh, the ball gets rolled back to Mickey who has a, has a touch and um, anyway, it's not a great touch and the guy's closing him down. So he quickly turns round to, to lay it back to Lee Harrison and over kicks it and goes straight off for a corner. <laughs> so, so literally, 
20 seconds into the game, we've given away a set piece. And you can, and we all just sort of snuck a look over at Stilly, who's putting <laughs> the, last, the last remaining hairs out of his head. <laughs> um, yeah. And, but that game was, it was a nil-nil game. And I remember the headlines in the paper afterwards was the worst game of football that has ever been played anywhere. <laughs> and um, so, you know, we, we come off as players and defenders thinking, oh, I've kept a clean sheet. We've got a, a nice, you know, we've got a draw. We haven't lost. But from a supporter's point of view, you know, you, you might not have gone to any other games after that. So. <laughs> I think the only flip side shot with what ha- what's happened since really that era of Barnet is you look at where we've been since and where we were then, what would you rather? I, d- I don't know. And I think, you know, when we've had success, the conference winning season a bit after your time, obviously we played some very good football under Fair Club, but when we've had other success with Martin Allen, that's all been not always the most pretty football, I think. Is it a sacrifice maybe you have to make as a lower league fan that it's got to be results and over style if you want yeah, to I mean, there's, 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 yeah, there's the argument that, you know, you do what you need to do to get out of those leagues. And then once you get out of those leagues and maybe you've got a bit more money and you can attract the better players and, you know, you can alter your system. You know, you look at the clubs that have done that, you know, and uh, but maybe it's, it's a big ask for a, a lower league club to be playing beautiful football and to, to get out of the league doing that. You know, there have been the odd teams doing that, but normally they've had a bit of backing financially to, to attract those better players. Um, so may, maybe that's what it is. I mean, John Steele was, was a great one for getting clubs out of the conference, wasn't he? You know, he, he did it at Barnet. He did it at um, uh, Luton. You know, and so, you know, maybe maybe that is the way it has to be done sometimes. I wasn't at the particular game that you spoke of, but um, I think there's probably several contenders for worst game of football ever seen, certainly at Underhill and, uh, and uh, at several away games that we've been to over the years. But um, coming back to you, uh, you made your debut for Barnet after that, after that big money signing at Norwich. And Norwich was somewhere where you'd played as a youngster. Um, and this is in the League Cup, and this is back in the days where uh, we, where it was two legs for every, basically every round. Uh, we lost away, but we lost narrowly away. But we won at home to, to claim a bit of a scalp at the time because Norwich weren't, you know, long down from being relegated from the Premier League. Uh, that's not a bad start, is it, from a new career perspective? Um, how was that um, experience for you playing away to Norwich and then playing at home to them and beating them? Yeah, I remember both those games really, really well. You know, like I say, it was my my first game for Barnet. Um, having been at Barnet for, for quite some time as a, as a youth team player. Um, and, you know, I was there full time for a few months. So I knew a lot of the players beforehand, you know. Um, and going back there and playing, it's, it's a lovely stadium. Um, so it's a big occasion for, for Barnet to be playing at, at, uh, at Norwich. And, yeah, we lost, but it was, um, it was a good game. We gave a good account for ourselves. And if I'm honest, you know, I, I don't think we... We had too much confidence in that second leg. You know, we we were just going to enjoy the game, give give the best we could. And it all just, it, one of those games, you know, it was like uh, Aston Villa v, v Liverpool, wasn't it, the other day? You know, <laughs> every, everything that could have gone well went well. And, uh, you know, we deserved it in the end. But, um, you know, obviously Sean Devine and I, I got I got a goal that I was well chuffed with because it wasn't, you know, two yards out. And, um so um, yeah, it, it was it was a great occasion. Um, and Mike Walker was the manager of uh, Norwich at the time, 
who was a guy that was probably responsible for me leaving Norwich in the first place. So that was that was sweet. Yeah, that was <laughs> did you let him know at any point? Did you remind him that he'd uh, been part of that, or did you just have a smile on your face instead? No, that had been ungracious, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of them, isn't it, with, uh, with Norwich. It's especially sweet for you because clearly that situation you described where you left the club, but I often wonder what it must have been like to be a Norwich fan that night, having you know three or four years before having one away at Bayern Munich and then yeah. they're, then they're at Underhill in those green seats behind the goal, watching themselves get beaten by a Division Three club in the League Cup first round. It must have been quite amusing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, my recollection, I don't know if you remember this, Greg, but my, my recollection, and I was a little bit younger than I am now, was that right towards the end, there was a, one of their defenders just absolutely booted the ball out over the backside of the south end. when he, They're just at the point where they're just completely given up on the game. And, it, and for me, that was like the moment where we went, I think we're going to win. I think we're going to win this. We, we, you know, we're going through and it's quite nice seeing a, a, a higher club come down to Underhill on a Tuesday night, especially under the lights with, with all the atmosphere that you always used to get and, uh, and just look beaten. You know, that was always... Uh, yeah, no. Look, we've we've all in our careers, you know, played at uh, smaller clubs, and but um, yeah, so we've all been there where you you go to these games and it's uh, you're on a hide into nothing, um, and as much as you know you're the better club, there's is always that seed of doubt if something happens. It's not they're not nice games, you know, and that's why the FA Cup games, you know, regardless of whatever size of the club, they're horrible games, you know, because it's it's a pride thing is. There's only one loser, isn't there, really, on that one? So, um, so yeah, you know, it must have been horrible for them. But, uh, but, but there you go. Well, we, uh, Greg, we promised we wouldn't go too much into details of games. Um, and frankly, I'm similar to you. I remember how I feel about things. I remember kind of roughly what was going on, but I'm not one for stats. But um, a game that you, you weren't involved in, as I recall, but I'm sure you will remember, was uh, 1-9 uh, against Peterborough. Um, especially... As we've already discussed, some of your old mates, I guess, uh, on the pitch. I don't know how close you were to the one that got flattened by John Ford. But um, what, what's your uh, recognition of that game, and, and how was it for you? I, I think you were sitting in the stands. Gratz, I think Gratz told us you were you were at the game. I don't know if that's true, but uh, maybe you tell us what you remember. Yeah, no, I I did. I and I saw Gratz before the game because I knew him. Like I said, you know, we'd been uh, regular bacon butty partners for the last couple of years. So. Um, yeah, I, I saw him before the game and it was his, I think it was his debut. Was it his debut for Peterborough? And, you know, and I remember saying to him, you know, just enjoy yourself, have a good game and all the rest of it. Um, and he literally took it <laughs> by, by the word, <laughs> didn't he? You know, and uh, it was one of those games for Gratz where he looked a million dollars and everything went for him and deservedly got, um, what do you get, two goals? Or what do you get? <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, well, yeah, it's, easy, it's quite easy to lose count on a day like that. Yeah, no, it was... Um, I mean, it was it was horrible um, for me, you know, sat in that stand. And I tell you, this is, that isn't nice. When you're sat in the stand, and normally when you're playing, you know, you get you zone into the game. You know, I heard one of the players talking about it on one of the podcasts where you're totally unaware of, of fans, of, of noises, of, of comments... Um, and I was one of those players, you know, I was so focused on what I had to do in a game. Um, you know, there could be a, a guy playing with multicolored boots and multicolored hair and six foot six, you know, and you come off at the end of the game and state that guy in midfield and <laughs> what I, ooh. you know, I, I, I just wouldn't notice things like that. You're so focused. 
But when you're up in the stand and you're watching, you know, you can hear comments um, and you can hear abuse that goes on. And it's after time, it's just frustration, you know, and you can, you know, fans obviously pay their money. There's, there's that comment and excuse, isn't there, that I don't, I don't go with, but anyway. <laughs> um, so, that, so that was horrible. You know, when you're, you're getting beaten, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, you know, it wasn't a nice place to be. Um, the, the guy that got flattened, you know, it was Jimmy Quinn, wasn't it? Jimmy Quinn, yeah. Who was a top, top guy, actually. Um, again, he, he came to, to Peterborough when I was there. Um, but, uh, yeah, you, you know, John Ford, you know, great, great lad and, and wears his heart on his sleeve. And again, you know, if you upset him, as it should be, he'll, he'll let you know. No, that's fair. I think we had a, a, a debut goalkeeper, or certainly a, Nicky Rust hadn't played many games and didn't and didn't play many games off. But he was quite. I think he was quite an established goalkeeper at Brighton beforehand. So really, really unfortunate, I guess. Um, yeah. But, see, I, I don't remember. This is what I'm talking about. I've headed too many footballs. I can't even remember that guy being in goal for us. You know, and <laughs> uh, I remember the the name, and I know he was at other clubs. But um, yeah, and I think did he? How many games did he play for Barnet? Two, I think. Two, yeah. I'll get the stats. The answer's two, yeah. He played again on a Tuesday night or something and, and we lost again, I think. And, um, well, that was that. it's yeah, quite hard to come back from giving yeah. nine, isn't it? Well, I think, I think Warren Goodhine made, I think, I think he said he captained that night or that, that day, sorry, in your, in your absence. And he said that, you know, you can't blame the goalkeeper on a day like that. It's just, it's just when, it, when, it, when everything goes wrong, it's a, team, it's a team game and it's everyone's fault, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it happens. You know, we've seen last weekend it can happen, you know, with, with great clubs, you know, with, with Man United and with, with Liverpool. Um, it snowballs. And, you know, confidence is a massive thing in, in football and in lots of walks of life, isn't it? You know, and it's one of those things when things are going well for you, you try things. You know, Aston Villa were, were shooting from outside the box the other night, weren't they? It's ricocheting yeah. off two or three players and... You know, if they didn't have that confidence, they wouldn't have been, you know, shooting from those positions. You know, it's one of those. And I think that that uh, that afternoon, it was exactly the same for Peterborough. Now, as I say, obviously you had a few pals on the other side of the the, the, the I guess the other dressing room that day. But um, who were your uh, who were your mates at, at Barnet when you joined there? Who were the people you were closest to? And, what, and I, one of the questions we always ask people as well is what um, what were the nights out like? But uh, you know, as as much as you want to share, really, on that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think, actually, because I was there so long, I forget who was... Um, obviously, Ken Charlery was there already, wasn't he? Um, yeah. So I knew Ken. Um, Billy, Billy Manuel, I'm not sure if, when I went there if he was already there, so I, I knew him. Um, Lee Howarth was the other centre-half when I was there, and I sort of knew him anyway, because, he, again, he had his a career at Peterborough. Um, we used to travel in together, me and Lee Howarth, um, who is probably you know one of the most intelligent people you'd ever meet that was a footballer. Very very dry, very droll, um, but you know great lad. You know great lad, good player, lots of ability. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, I'm trying to. Think. And then obviously John Doolan came came as well, and I think you know Tony spent a bit of money on John Doolan as well. Yeah. And uh, you know he was he was one of my best mates at the club as well. You know again a real character. Um, wears his heart on his sleeve and, you know, you could tell that he, <coughs> excuse me, that he grew up at, you know, a good club at Everton, was youth team player there. Um, and, you know, 
really, really good player and he'd become a good mate and a very funny guy on a night out as well. <laughs> we talk about that season and, uh, you know, the Peterborough game was, I guess, it wasn't, it wasn't a foreshadowing of the whole season. It wasn't a complete disaster like that game was. But, you know, from your perspective personally, it was, there was a little bit of injuries and I guess it was a frustrating season because the year before we just made the playoffs. So you'd, expecting, you'd be expecting the team to sort of try and build on that. Um, but, you know, it was quite interesting the perspective that you spoke about, about, you know, being in the stands when you're a player that blocks everything out. You know, what was it like for you being you know, injured during that season and wanting to be out there because it felt like you wanted to be out there all the time and making a difference to, to what was going on. Sorry, what season are you talking about? The season we got relegated? 98-99. So the, the season between the two the playoff years. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, was, um, that was really frustrating. You know, that's, that's horrible when, you, when you're injured. And it was, a, it was a nasty injury. It was a back injury. Um, and it came off the back of, <coughs> excuse me, uh, an ankle injury that happened pre-season. And uh, it was my first day back in, in training. And I remember just jumping over a traffic cone as part of my, my rehab. And because uh, we was all techno in those days. And uh, <laughs> jumping over and backwards and forwards over this traffic cone. And I've landed after however many. I felt a jolt in my back. And um, cut a long story short, I was out for about five months um, with a, you know, a, a disc problem and a nerve problem that... Uh, eventually got diagnosed properly and but you know for a long time you know you're coming into training and you're running around you know the first field field um, while everyone's training you know you're doing the, the little things you can do like swimming you know I was I was a great swimmer in the end I was like Mark Spitz you know I was uh, <laughs> a swimmer but you know I wasn't playing my football and and then that gets frustrating because you're getting paid and there gets frustration from you know, the powers that be that you know they're paying a player that basically isn't you know on the field. You start thinking in that little seed in your head, am I going to get fit after the back of this? And then the team obviously isn't doing great as well. Um, and then you end up coming back too early. You know, I think if I remember again correctly, and I'm, I tell you my memory is terrible. Um, I had a training session. Um, I had a training session and. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, Martin Allen was there at the time. Would he have been there? Was that too early for Martin? A bit too early for that. I, I had a um, I had a training session, and they said, "Oh, he's he's all right. He's good. He's doing all right." You know, and and so you know, can you get involved the next game, next league game? And I was, yeah, because you don't say no if you know you're available to play. And um, I played, and I had an absolute nightmare. You know, I was breathing out my backside. I wasn't used to playing, and. You know, it was uh, I was a liability. You know, so you you have that side of it as well that you you want to come back, but sometimes you have to come back when you're right, and you're not going to let the side down. Yeah, so obviously that to say that season was frustrating for for you individually and and for the team kind of collectively, and that we sort of underachieved what we had definitely within within the squad. Um, during that season, we had quite a key member of the team going to the next one, somebody who played alongside for a number of years, which was Mark Arbor. Um, who gets quite a bad press among Barnet fans for kind of the acrimonious departure from the club. Um, I do have to say in his defence, we contacted him about coming on here and he did decline, but he declined in the most respectful, polite way rather than ignoring us like a lot of people have done. <laughs> um, so, so credit I, did, to I didn't there. know it was an option to decline. <laughs> <laughs> it's too late now. Oh, um, gutty. 
But, uh, <laughs> but I was just going to ask, kind of, before we go into the next season and that, obviously on the pitch, you two developed a really great partnership at the back. Um, what was your relationship with him like? Was it purely like kind of a, a rapport on the pitch that worked or was it something that on the training grounds where you got on? Um, yeah, no, more- we were very, very different players, different backgrounds. Um, he had obviously come from Tottenham. Um, you know, he was, I think, quite highly thought of as, at Tottenham. Um, so coming to, uh, you know, the first field centre and playing on those fields where, you know, I remember once we were we were training there when we had a goal and we was, you know, doing a practice and all of a sudden this white fans turned up and they start taking the goalpost down. You know, <laughs> it was a it was a public field, you know, and then we got Billy Manuel trying to trying to smash the ball against the van and we're having. A- <laughs> so you know that's a bit of a. Um, you know, you bring you back down to earth a little bit, you know, and Mark would be the first to admit that it took him time to get used to to Barnet and to, you know, League 2 or 3, whatever it was at the time. Um, you know, and at our running sessions, you know, John Steele was big on fitness. Mark Harbour wasn't big on fitness. <laughs> he, was a, he was a ball player. He had a nice, you know, wand of a foot and all the rest of it. Um, so that took him a while to, to get used to that. Um, but Mark had unbelievable confidence in himself, you know, which is a is an attribute, you know, in in life, isn't it, and in football. Um, so I think we complemented ourselves in as much as, you know, very different, but sometimes that that works, you know, in in a team, um, because he knew what what I could do and what I couldn't do, and, and vice versa, you know. So sometimes, when you're an extreme of a player. Um, it can help. You know what that player's going to do, you know, and uh, I wasn't going to try and beat, you know, four or five players at the back and all the rest of it, um, like Mark could do, you know, and, uh, um, you know, Gary Breen, he was another one. You know, Gary Breen, when he was at, um, you know, I never saw him when he was at Barnet, but uh, at Peterborough, you know, he was the ball player. You know, he was the one you come off after a game and you'd be covered in mud and blood and whatever, and there'd be Gary Breen coming off with, you know, his hair still in place. <laughs> and, you know, and man of the match, Gary Breen, you know, and you're like, oh, hold on a sec. You know? <laughs> um, but, you know, he, he, was a, he was a good player and he obviously went on to have a, a very successful career and made, you know, good money out of the game. And like I say, Mark was, was one of them. And, uh, you know, he, yeah, we had a good relationship and obviously did well when it came to, to the games and knowing what each other could do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that kind of contrasted style with you and him. And then that, that season I'm on about now, 1990-2000, often it was a back three of Arbor, who's maybe your ball-playing centre-half, yourself and Warren Hackett, who certainly fell into a different category uh, to Mark Arbor, definitely, in what, in what he offered the team in terms of physicality and everything else. Um, but going, going into that season, obviously, that was a, a really successful campaign. It maybe could have been more. We talked quite a lot with other guests about what maybe might have been that year. We haven't kind of blown up in the second half of the season. We'll get on to how that concluded in a moment. There were two games, though, which from other episodes, your name has come up quite a lot, which we're going to hope you'll jog your memory a little bit for, uh, were the meetings with South End, both home and away that season. So played them away on a Friday night, just pre-Christmas, uh, to go top of the league, run 3-1. I think Danny Brown scored a particularly good goal that night. Um, and Darren Curry explained to us that after that game, a bit, of, a bit of needle for the next fixture was created by the fact that I think it was Leo Roger, their big centre-half, came bursting into our changing room. Now, Darren Curry's story of that was that he took a step back and let the bigger chaps take care of the situation. Your name was mentioned. K 
Ken Charlery. Um, I wonder if there's anything more you can add to that for us from what he said. No, it's spot on. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it was um, again. It was a funny. It was a funny game because we um, again, if I remember, we we met in uh, just off the M25, um, and we met there because it was closer for a lot of us to meet there. And we got the coach, and we got we were late. You know, we got stuck in traffic or whatever it was. All that you know, traffic going through to South End that time of the night. So we got there literally with with no time to spare to the point where we couldn't even, we had our warm up and that was it. We stayed out. Normally you have a warm up, you come back in, the manager says his bit, um, but we didn't have time to do that. So we literally quickly get your kit on. This is the team. We got out, not a proper warm up, and then we're playing. Um, and it was one of those games again, that it was just, a, it was a great game and good for us. And we upset them. You know, we, we, we bullied them a bit and it was a, you know, we come off at the end of it, just absolutely on cloud nine, you know, to, to have the worst, preparation for a game and then to come away to which was although they weren't you know it wasn't a derby game they, they were like our rivals you know south end so to beat them was great and then so we're coming in you know leo roger was was a uh, uh, a character is the probably the, the polite way of saying it and yeah he threw all his toys out his pram and we had our stereo you know and he's, he's basically we're we're talking in the the narrow corridor to a couple of their players um, he comes steaming out um, of his changing room and you think, what's, what's going on here? And he uh, he goes into our changing room and, and like just basically yanks the lead out of the, the stereo. Um, and uh, and then obviously a few players then followed him, you know, having a go at him. And then it all sort of kicked off in the corridor. And then we end up falling through into their changing room. <laughs> and uh, and it, was your, it was your typical football fight, you know, with meals, <laughs> <laughs> handbags being thrown um, but it was great and then we've, we've gone back in it's, you're part of a team then you know you all muddled together and um, and their manager was Webb I think um, uh, yeah it was Webb and I think it was a week later whatever he um, he sent through a new stereo he apologised and sent through a new stereo oh. to oh, fair it's very sweet of him yeah it sounds like a, a, a peacemaking obviously it was around Christmas time, so a season of goodwill and all that. Um, mm-hmm. But the return fixture came around pretty quickly. It was the first game of the, the new millennium at Underhill, um, January the 8th, 2000. It was actually... Yeah, I years. can't remember that. can't remember that one. <laughs> it took a few years, I saw earlier when you were saying how old we were, because that was my... Uh, I was mascot for my 11th birthday that day. Okay, yeah, um, very good. And, uh, you know, I, I remember actually going in the changing room beforehand. And it's funny the things you remember. I can remember the stereo being in full blast, a bit of garage going on in the barn and dressing room. Ken Charlery enjoying it in particular, I can still recall. Um, but yeah, you know, the game itself, we I think we won one, two, one to go back to the top of the league. Um, but there's an incident which we've been brought up on here before, which was one of those things that I had questioned if I remember right. Darren Curry and a few others have put us right there. We did. Um, and I mentioned it earlier. Yourself and Martin Carruthers had a bit of a falling out, um, which led to a red card for you and him. Um, and the famous, and this has been brought up by a few people since we've talked around the podcast, the famous chase down the Underhill Tunnel as you both left the pitch. Uh, we, we'd love to hear from the man himself a bit more about that incident. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it was one of those games. Again, it was a, it was a big game. You know, it's a big game. Your, your passions are, are running high and all the rest of it. And, um, you know, I, again, I scored in that game one of the best goals I've ever scored. You know, a, a diving header own goal. You know, it was a top, cor- top corner. 
and um, Martin Carruthers I, I knew from Peterborough. You know, we were we were good mates at Peterborough. Um, uh, yeah, I won't say his nickname, but yeah, he had a nickname. <laughs> um, anyway, so it was a great header, top corner. I'm laying literally prostrate on the on the floor, gutted. You know, I can't believe this has happened. And then he comes along and uh, ruffles my hair. <laughs> I had hair in those days. <laughs> Great goal groove, right? And um, so, uh, yeah, I, I literally, all my all the toys come out of my pram then and I, I jumped <laughs> up and got back to me, you know, me windmilling and me, me handbag fighting, all the rest of it. T- you know, totally lost it, basically. And then um, the manager, uh, the manager, the, the referee comes over, breaks us apart, um, takes away our handbags and says, right, come here. And he goes over to Martin Carruthers first because he's obviously incited the incident and whatever, and uh, pulls out the red card, sends him off. So Martin looks a bit upset, obviously, and he walks off. And I go up to ref. I said, yeah, good decision, ref. You know, you've used your head there. <laughs> well done. <laughs> and, he, and he pulls out a red for me. So um, obviously, you know, I've scored an own goal. I've been sent off. Um, the guy that had wound me up is is running, you know, walking down the tunnel. So I just literally, again, just totally lost the plot and ran, <laughs> ran off the pitch and down the tunnel. And um, yeah, and uh, I mean, it was it was so many people around that area that they're they're separating us and <clears throat> and all the rest of it. And uh, you know, it was one of those things. Emotions are running high. Um, I went into our changing room and. Uh, I think it was Alan Dafforn, who was uh, John Steele's right-hand man at the time. Um, he was in there. He's taking me in. And there was this mirror in the in the change room that had been there, I think, since 1911. Um, <laughs> and I punched the mirror. I've just totally lost him. Punched this mirror and smashed this mirror, and it's gone everywhere. At Cut least you were there. Yeah. At least you yeah. So anyway, that happened. I've and I've totally lost it. I'm, I'm you know, and so then uh, I've got blood all over my hands. So then I go into the, the physio room, and the physio is looking at my hand and he's taping it up and everything else. And did, did they have one player sent off or two players sent off in the game? Do you know? I think they might have ended with nine. I don't know if it was in the same incident, but I feel like well, it I was. Just, I just off. remember we were um, we were in the changing room and. Um, there was in the physio room, sorry, and there was me getting treatment and there was one of their players getting treatment. And then we heard a, another shout and we'd scored, we'd equalised and Danny Brown had scored or whatever. And then, then we obviously, you know, win the game. So it turned out brilliant in the end. But um, yeah, it did it did kick off a little bit. And there was, uh, there was a bit of afters, which was a bit disappointing afterwards that things that said that was said that weren't said and it was a little bit hold on you know these, these things happen let's let's get over it and move on but uh but yeah that that happened <laughs> you, you've uh you've stepped over the next question a little bit because um we we're going to talk about for a centre-back you weren't bad for a few goals you know you scored 22 goals in your career with Barnet, and uh that's that's better than quite a few of the strikers we've had in over the years yeah 11 um, in training as well james as well <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was, I was going to ask, you know, what was your standout goal? What was your best goal? But I think you've just described it at the wrong <laughs> end. Was there anything better for you at the, at the right end that, you, that stands out as a memory for you in terms of goals that you scored for Barnet? Yeah, yeah. One that was, um, and it, I saw this on a video the other day and I, I forced my son to watch it. It was um, 
it was the uh, the playoff goal against Colchester when we won one 0 on the home leg, and um, and basically I was it was a it was a set piece in the the second half I think and uh, got a feeling it was Mike Basham who had a, a great strike on him. He's uh, um, I was going to say lumped the ball into the box, but he caressed the ball into the <laughs> box, uh, and I was basically there to just take their big man away. Um, you know, because he was marking me to take him away, and their keeper came out and did a feeble punch with the ball, and it basically landed, bounced, landed at my feet, and I did a uh, a scissor kick, both feet off the ground. Yeah, the keeper wasn't in the goal, but it doesn't matter. Um, and thirty it, yards out as well, wasn't it? Thirty-two. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, and it went in. I was so dumbfounded. You see the video? I was just literally stand up, put my arms in the air, and then Scott McLeish jumps all over me. And uh, so that that was a nice goal for me because it wasn't with my head, you know. So um, so yeah, that, that's my standout memory, and it was obviously a very important game and a big game. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously that, that was one playoff campaign, and the, the season run up just then ended in the playoffs again with uh, obviously quite a heavy loss in the end to your old club, club Peterborough. It's something we've talked about quite a lot on previous episodes, and it, it was you know a massive source of frustration. Um, did you feel kind of going into those playoff games after the? collapse down the table perhaps that we were a bit resigned to our fate at that point no not not the Peterborough game no um, both games you know Colchester away and the Peterborough game at home again we had great preparation for that for that game um, felt really confident you know and again it was one of those games for Peterborough where where everything went right you know and uh, uh, was it Farrell um, yeah very much so <laughs> yeah and I Oh, sorry, what was his first name? It's, it's David, really David, David, was it David? David Farrell, yeah, yeah. So I, I knew David well as well from my time at Peterborough. Um, and he everything he did came off and he had he had one of those games and he's one of those where you're pinching yourself, you're like, I can't believe this is happening, you know. It's like the tall key game. You know, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong for us. Yeah. And you're thinking this this isn't happening, you know, you such an important game, um, as was that game, you know, against yeah. Peterborough. And so to lose so heavily, you know, it's it's hot. It's horrible. It's a horrible feeling. Yeah, no, and I think you know there was a feeling that season that that team should have achieved more. It was a good side. We, we did play some good football, despite what we talked about earlier. You know, some of the criticism of John Still stuff. There's a lot of good stuff in that season. It was a shame we fell short at the end of that campaign. Uh, this is something we've we've been building up to in our minds. We spoke about off air a little bit before we started. Uh, the now kind of infamous trip. The Dublin happened at the end of the season. This become a bit like, I don't know for anyone who's a fan of Gavin and Stacey, the fishing trip joke in that, which uh, everyone wants to find out about. We were kind of hoping we'd have the big reveal tonight, which we might not get. But uh, we'd love you to fill us in on what you remember of the end of season Dublin trip in the summer of 2000. Yeah, I'm afraid, guys, I'm going to disappoint you. Like I said, I'm, um, I do remember not having the best relationship with Marlon. Um he was, uh, you know, obviously he was a, he was a good player. He went on to, to bigger and better things, not to Forest and clubs like that. Um, you know, done really well, but he wasn't my cup of tea. Um, and he, he wasn't a lot of people's cup of tea, you know. But um, sometimes in football and as managers, you know, if you've got a player that's doing well for you and scoring goals and all the rest of it, you, you play them, um, even though it might upset the, the team dynamic. Um, you know, and it was funny because... Uh, Tommy Cunningham, uh, he was the, the assistant manager, I think, at the time as well. And, uh, you know, we'd train, like I said, at first field on the Astro. 
and it was great because I had carte blanche to, to do whatever I wanted to Marlon in training. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'd, he was far too quick for me, you know, and he'd, he'd be sprinting away and I'd just, I'd just side him down, you know, and uh, <laughs> he'd look all despairingly to Tommy and Tommy'd just go, play on. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's where I took out some of my frustration against Marlon. Um, and again, I'm sure he's got some stories about me. But, um, yeah, I did have a few incidents. But Dublin, um, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, I, I can't remember that incident. But like I say, you know, it was, uh, it was, a, it was a good trip. It was a, it was a clever trip in as much as, you know, we'd lost, you know, a big game and we're down. And, uh, you know, in spirits. And I think that's when you need a pick-me-up. You know, you don't always need that that great trip, that nice trip when things are going well, because you're on a high anyway. You know, you need those little um, incentives, those little nice things when, you know, morale is down. And, and that was a trip that we were like, what? We're going to Dublin after getting beaten, you know, in the playoffs. But it brought us all close together again. You know, I remember I was, you know, good mates with Paul Wilson. You know, we had a, we had a great, uh, great trip together and all the boys did. And... Uh, yeah, there's a few other stories, but not one. <laughs> Marlon, I, th- I think we I think we recognise that we've had enough people on that were on the Dublin trip now that we're on a bit of a hiding to nothing trying to get the stories out of that trip. So we might just have to leave it there. We've got a hundred miles down. What one one thing you mentioned there was how you perhaps didn't have the best relationship with with Marlon King, and you know we all we all in our own walks of life work with people that perhaps we don't get on with, but as football supporters, you all assume that when you're in a team, you get on with everybody and you're all mates and you're all going for it. You know, when you do have people in the team that you're perhaps not the most friendly with, how do you put that to one side to achieve the best for your for your team, for the club you're playing for? Um, because, as I said earlier, it's a job. You know, it's, it's the best job in the world um, by far. But it's a job, you know. You need to you need to get results. You need to rely on people to score goals for you, to stop goals going in, and even if you don't like them, you know, you you've got to support them. You've got to help them. You've got to big them up, encourage them, you know. Um, and then when the game's over, that's it. You know, you haven't got to speak to them or or do whatever. But everything you can in in the game, even and in training, you know, to to get the most for the team. That's uh, you know, again, like you say, in every walk of life, in every job, you know, you, there's, of course there's people you don't get on with, but you're a, a common goal, aren't you, to to get the company working well, the business working well, the, the football club working well, you know. And it's the same for managers. You know, managers don't like every player, but if there's a player that's doing it for that, for the team, they, they're going to play them. To be fair, I mean, you said that, that trip was a bit of a, a pick-me-up from where from where we finished off after that playoff. And to be fair, we actually started the next season pretty well. Um, it's a, it's a probably the, a half of a season that is most forgotten out of, of so many because of, of, of what followed. But maybe just skipping forward to what was probably the first big event, if you like, of that season. Tony Cotty comes in uh, as, as manager or, or maybe some debate around exactly what role it was. But he comes in. Um, we win 7-0 against, uh, against Blackpool. Darren Curry gets a hat-trick, although Ian told him he got two, and that caused a bit of a stir, but he got a hat-trick. Um, from your point of view, you've been at the club a, a little while at that point, probably starting to feel like your club to some extent. Um, how, what was that, cause that transition like, especially being one of John Steele's uh, players and signings, I guess? What was it like for you when that, that transition happened? 
Yeah, it was really weird times, actually, because, um, you know, Tony Cotty, I grew up with Tony Cotty as, as a player, you know, as in watching him, um, you know, he's a legend, you know, uh, uh, what was his name? Frank, Frank McAvenny and uh, Tony Cotty for West Ham, you know, legends, you know, and uh, will always be legends. And Tony Cotty, what, what a player. So all of a sudden for him to be signing for Barnet, if he'd playing for Barnet, I was like, wow, you know, this, this is this is something else. This is a proper player coming to Barnet. And his first meeting at the club, I'll never forget that. You know, we, again, we was at the first field. We've gone upstairs to, to room and, you know, rumours were, were going around. We've got a new manager. It could be Tony Cotty, you know. So we're all sitting in the, um, in the boardroom. It was, you know, it was just this room. And we're all, all up there. And... Um, Tony Cotty comes in, you know, in his suit and his gun still and all the rest of it. And uh, and he starts talking, Tony Cotty. And uh, John John Doolan knew him from Everton because he was a youth team player uh, or apprentice when Tony Cotty was at, uh, was at Everton and he was playing there. And he starts talking, Tony, and he's going, you know, I've played at Old Trafford. He said, I've played at Anfield. I've played at Highbury. He's, he's reeling off about five or six and we're thinking, oh my God, what a big time Charlie this guy is. <laughs> and he's gone, but I've never been as nervous as I am here standing in front of you guys, you know, as, as your manager. So you think, oh, you know, I like that. That's a little bit of, you know, uh, sort of empathy of the situation, all the rest of it. And so, you know, he got off to a good start and obviously the, the win against Blackpool couldn't have gone better. Um, and I think in hindsight, I think Tony Cotty's a, you know, he's, he's a decent guy. He's a, he's a clever guy. And I think in hindsight, he'd be the first to admit that he could have done things different, you know. Um, and he, there was an interview, I remember, straight after that game, because Steve McMahon was the manager of Blackpool at the time. And obviously, being on a high, you know, uh, Tony Cotty said a few things about the game and, you know, bragging about it, basically. And um, Steve McMahon said, basically, you know, it's, it's a long season. And obviously, if you remember what happened at the end of the season, you know, we, we lose to Blackpool right near the tail end of the season, which was a, a horrific game for us. And uh, things had gone full circle, you know, and, and McMahon was in the paper then basically saying, you know, we used that game as a as a morale booster for our team. So, um, so yeah, it, it was... You know, difficult times, you know, and, and everything that we'd built on, unfortunately, sort of started to unravel from that moment onwards, you know, and it was it was sad to see and frustrating to see. I, mean, I remember a, a rumour from that period of time, and uh, it's, it's one of those things, that I, don't, I, can't, I don't know if it's one of those, like, urban myths that fans hold, hold on to, but I have a recollection that there was a story that Tony Cotty came into the group of players, and he, he had this thing where he said he'd vote for the... Uh, the, the the poor player of the week in training worst, something yeah yeah worst trainer and there was some story and there was a forfeit and I can't you probably know better than me but I, do you know is this am I onto something here is there a story yeah. do you remember do you remember it I, you probably tell it better than me that's all yeah I can't I can't really remember what the forfeit was but yeah on a Friday you'd have like a an eight v eight or a ten v ten game and normally it's the the first team against the the reserves you know the boys that aren't playing and almost without fail the reserves win. You know, because they, they've got a point to prove, you know, they should be in the team. The team that are playing on the Saturday don't want to get injured, you know. And so almost without fail, you know, the, the, the reserves win. 
but you also have the the worst player of the week or the worst player of, of, of the day on that Friday. And so it was Tony Cotty's idea, actually, that um, we'd all write a name on a, you know, again, hindsight, he wouldn't have done this. He could have <laughs> seen it coming, you know, get a bit of paper, you write a name for the for worst player on a Friday and you put it in the hat and then he'll pick him out. <laughs> so you can, you can see what's coming, can't you? So we're all in there <laughs> and he's, he's picked out the first name and let's say it's Greg Hild, all right? So, so Greg Hild, okay, and he's, okay. Next one, Tony Cotty. <laughs> next, next, next one, Tony Cotty. <clears throat> you can start to see the blood starting to rush from his face. <laughs> and he must have gone through five or six. Tony Cotty, Tony Cotty. <laughs> and he went, FNL, right, that's it. And he threw it down and that was it, meeting over. Through, yeah, out he walks, not not impressed, and obviously we're wearing stitches. You know, we're, we're cracking up. But um, yeah, I, th I think in hindsight he wouldn't have done a blind vote. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that's true. Yeah, I'm glad that's true. Oh. <laughs> we'll back together for the next minute now. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, we've had other things. I think Lee Harrison said something about Cotty holding his hands up saying he hadn't played well in the game whatever and I think yeah you know what you said there's a lot that maybe with hindsight more experience away from actually playing he might have taken more into being the manager and thinking of his role there um, but you know for whatever reason it didn't work out on the pitch he did really well but leading the team it went quite wrong it just obviously you, you remain captain uh, I don't know if there's any ever any doubt that that would change during his time there but how, how frustrating was it for you as well going from obviously three years of pretty much success previous to it to being captain of what in the second half of that season was quite clearly a real sinking ship. Yeah, really frustrating, you know, and, and it was, and again, this is all hindsight, you know, and uh, we were a certain club built with certain principles over a few years and we had developed all these habits and uh, automatic reactions to games and situations. Um and that changed pretty quickly, you know, with, with Tony coming in. And again, Tony had come from, I don't know if it's Premier League at the time, you know, the old first division where it's a beautiful game. You know, it's, it's, it is the beautiful game. And, and, you know, League Two, League Three, whatever, it isn't the beautiful game, you know. And, uh, and we built our success and our, our game on, on things that we've spoken about, set pieces, doing things right, having you know, one option when you get the ball, you know, it's all these sort of things. And, and all these things that had made us the team and strong were starting to unravel pretty quickly. And once that ball starts rolling, it's hard to, because morale goes down, confidence goes down and it starts to, to lead from one thing to the other. And we were on free fall, you know, and it was like every time we looked at results, teams below us were doing well. And we were just slipping and slipping. And that, that happened right towards the end of the season. You know, I remember having a conversation with, um, and I was captain, but um, it wasn't, you know, there was a time when I, I think I, I relinquished it because, because of different circumstances. Um, but I had a meeting with Tony once and he said, you know, what, what's happening? You know, what, what's going wrong? And as delicately as I could, you know, and as I tactfully, I said, well, you know, last season, because... As a manager, you don't want to be reminded of how good the team was last year or, or whatever. It's, so, um, I said, well, you know, a lot of our success has, has been built on set pieces, corners and stuff like that. And we worked hard on that. And so I remember his comment was, I was at Leicester 
he said. And, you know, we used to score so many goals from corners and set pieces with people like Matt Elliott, you know, who was a big dominating, you know, centre-back. And we never, we never practised corners ever, you know, in, in training. And I said, yeah, but, but Gaffer, I said, this is, this is Leicester. These are Premier League players. These are top players. We're not, you know, we're young players. We need to learn. We need to, for you to show us how to do things and to put things into, into place. And uh, for you to show Tony Richards how to be a centre forward and, and how to do things. Um, and I, and he, I remember he had a bit of a, a perplexed sort of look on his face that mm, do, do I need to take him back to basics? But when you're in that league, you do, you've got young players coming through. Um, you need to sometimes go back to basics. So, you know, I felt sorry for him because he was out of his depth in a, in a league that he'd never really experienced, you know, and it'd be interesting one day to, to hear his take on it. Cause you know, I guess none of us have ever heard, his side of it, you know. We're and... trying, we're trying to make it happen. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. People have to him on Instagram or whatever. We, we, we've tried to put, put it yeah, out. I mean, it's a shame because, like I say, take football aside, he's a nice guy and all the rest of it. You know, it's just that it never happened for him at Barnet and we, we just, it had lasting implications for the team that season. Yeah, absolutely. And like we said, you know, a moment ago, the second half of that season was kind of one disaster to the next it kind of rolled on um you know you mentioned the Blackpool game we talked about that quite a lot that kind of you know the hope that was there and then taken away when that you know that game turned on its head as well we've obviously spoke to quite a few members of that team um on the podcast before and something that's come up from a few people Sam Stockley said it to us the other day uh, Ben Strevens a little while ago as well was what kind of made them realize the desperation of the situation as it got towards the end was you in the changing room and they were talking about you had pictures of your children up in the changing room and I think Strevens in particular was saying he was obviously a really young professional at the time so that was a wake-up call for him you know these are people's livelihoods this is kind of a, a real thing I mean you know obviously we might all have pictures of our kids at work and things like that but for you was that purely a personal motivation or was that partly there as a tool to show those younger boys look this is what it means no that that was totally for me you know it's uh it's um, what what motivates you, you know, before you go out, you know, sometimes those few minutes before you go out are, are so important. You know, everyone deals with it in different ways. And you've heard the old cliches, you know, some some players are rushing around the change room, smashing people on the back of the heads. And, you know, others are just literally sitting there with a towel over their head, you know, trying to compose their thoughts and, you know, mental imagery, of what's going to happen on that first time they touch the ball, you know. And, and for me... You know, just just having a look at that before I'm going out, you know, is like this. This is my job. This is important. Yeah, and clearly that then culminates in a, a very difficult atmosphere, I suppose, in the dressing room leading up to the the Torquay game. And you know, I'm afraid we do have to to cover it. Um, I think the phrase you used earlier on about everything that could go wrong did go wrong that day. You know, Lee Harrison having to go off injured, more or less from kick off. Darren Curry missing a penalty and us going in 3-0 down at half-time. As the captain and as, as someone that had been at the club for three, three years or, or more at that point, clearly that was something that was, that was quite a big occasion and, and, and it must have just been one of those things that you just couldn't comprehend at half-time of that game. No, it, as you said, it was everything that could go wrong went wrong. You know, we had the most 
brilliant sort of couple of weeks leading up to it or the week leading up to it with training. Uh, John still had got a guy called Chris Ramsey in to help us. Chris Ramsey, you know, become QPR manager, um, very well respected in the game. Um, you know, still, I think he's, I'm not sure where he is at the moment, but um, yeah, very good. We had this Alex Armstrong. We had all these people supporting us. You know, training was spot on. Yeah, there was a mishap with the uh, the the PFA Player of the Year awards. Have you heard already? Um, but take all that. Aside, that Greg, then you're more than welcome to do so. If you want to drop any names in for what happened there, then I'm sure us and our listeners would love to know. No, that's that would be unfair. That, that's <laughs> um, but um, but anyway, all aside, you know, we went into that game. You know, and again, you know, I talk about the same the Peterborough game, you know, in the playoffs. I, I was convinced that, you know, you think you're the better team. You've prepared well. We're going to beat these. You know, we're at home. We've got 5,000 fans there. Um, and everything that could have gone wrong went wrong, you know. And, you know, you, we talk about frustration and I, I, you probably bring up the, the streaker incident, you know, in the second half. But that was just born out of pure frustration. You, you can't believe this is happening to your club after the season we've had. And for two guys, maybe get them on the podcast um, <laughs> for, to run on when you're you're desperately trying to get into the game. Just I just wanted them off off the pitch. You know your world's or your your, your career even is crumbling because you're going into non-league. You know I don't think people realise that all the time. One minute you're a professional footballer, and all of a sudden you you're a semi-pro. You know you're going into non-league potential of going part-time, and so. Um, yeah, uh, you know, and we we managed to scramble a goal, but it was it was all too late. And uh, yeah, that's a really big point you make there because <clears throat> I think dropping out of the league when we did then was a very different thing to what it is now. I think when you look at teams that fall out of league two, not least because there's two clubs that go down now and two positions to go back up, and we weren't actually that far out. Maybe only. 10 years out of or 15 years out of when you had to be voted up and, and, and things like this. Yeah. It was a lot more complex. So I think um, it really felt like a cliff edge back then. And, and it was, I think that the occasion as well, because it was, it was winner takes all effectively that day. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, like you say, it was, it was, yeah, it was a horrendous game. And, and like you said, in, in those days, it was, you know, a lot of the conference clubs or national league clubs are called now, you know, a full time, um, you know, and, and can stay full-time. In those days, um, there weren't that many clubs that were full-time. You know, we stayed full-time, Barnet, but how long we could have done that before going back up, I don't know. Um, I remember the next day um, coming into training and having to shake all the people's hands and say sorry to the people that were leaving the club, including the, the youth team and some staff that had been there for years. I mean, that whether that was a good idea, I don't know. Um, but it was it was horrible, you know, to to say sorry. You know, we've we've had a nightmare season, and you're losing your job. And um, but yeah, it was um, you know it, it was horrible times. How's that feel? So I, when people think about football careers, you know, you hit 29 and that's that's getting old. But really, you're talking about a lot of quite you know young men. Really, uh, people still figuring their own lives out and themselves out. You're obviously a big presence in that group captain uh, and that's a lot of responsibility to be um, looking at people in the eye and talking about their their um, what redundancies or, or, or whatever it might be for them that's a that's a big that's a big thing to take on right yeah it is it's, and it like I say you know you, it's great when things are going well but when that happens 
you know that that will always live with me you know that uh, I I was the captain that that took them down and uh, people lost their jobs off the back of it but um you know that that's football you know that's football and you have to deal with it and as long as I think and it's an old cliche you can look at yourself in the mirror and say that you know I've done everything personally that I I, I could um to avoid that then you know you you live with it and you move on don't you yeah, and there's heroes and villains, and there's not much in between, and it's uh, yeah. I imagine that's quite difficult to balance. But totally. the good times off the back of that season, I think Darren Curry made player of the player, oh, sorry, team of the the year that year, and and there are a number of other players that went on to to go almost pretty much back to league football, if not immediately, certainly within the first few months. Was there ever a an you know an option that you might have left at the end of that season and gone and played back in the league somewhere else, or was it were you always going to be at Barnet again the year after? Yeah, I mean, I I can't remember. Obviously, I went to Orient. I can't remember if it was that season or season after. Um, after. Season after. Um, you know, I I was just I wasn't even thinking of that to be honest with you. You know, I was I was just ready for another tough season. Um, I'd experienced non-league football before, so I thought those clubs that we were playing against that next season, I'd played against. Um, and and it, also for me, I think sometimes it's an advantage to to come up from non-league, you know, because you've worked, you've you've combined that with a um, with a non-league career, and that's hard, you know, and uh, and it makes you appreciate when you become full-time and you become a pro. Is, is, is the best job in the world, you know, and, and like I say, if we go back to Mark Harbour, um, Mark Gower, you know, great players, Mike, Mike Basham, um, again, you know, great ability at West Ham when he was a youth team player. Um, I, I think you're missing something when you've, that's all you know, you know, you've left school, you become an apprentice, you become a full uh, professional footballer, full time, it's, everything's gone so smooth you know, and you don't know the other side of it. So for me in that season, um, you know, I, I was relishing playing a lot of these conference clubs because my non-league career was in the old Deodora Premier League yeah. where you, you're trying to get to the conference and all of a sudden we're playing at Northwich Victoria and we're playing at all these clubs that not so long ago, really, you know, I, I was desperate to get in the conference. So I, I enjoyed those games, you know, and obviously in whatever league you're in, if you're doing well and you're, you know, you're winning games, it's, it's a great, it's a great club and the environment's good. And, and Martin Allen, you know, did he, Peter Shreves and Martin Allen, were they there the first season? Well, we, we were going to come on to that because that, that was um, the second half of that season. I was going to say that I think for the three of us, maybe slightly rose-tinted spectacles looking back on your youth, like that season's all quite fondly remembered now. But yeah. That first season back in the conference, we started pretty well to about Christmas and we were in the top five or so. That was the year it was Boston and Dagenham fighting out for the one place. Right. So that, yeah. Pretty early, we weren't really and in just, contention. And to pick up on that, we played on Sky yeah. as well against Chester. Yeah. Uh, which was yeah. the year after. Was it the year after? We had so Boston I, on Sky. Uh, Boston yeah. on Sky. Yeah, because yeah, it was, we didn't play on TV. And that was, you know, that was quite Yeah, exciting. no, yeah. I remember. And so, yeah. so lots of positive things that we were back to, I suppose, what we had been in Division 3 of being one of the better bigger teams in the league or what yeah. we weren't in Division 3. Um, but we did well to the back Christmas. We got to the Elderly Vans semi-final, lost to Cambridge when Wembley, or not Wembley, or the final certainly wasn't too far away. I think it would have been Wembley, actually. Um, but things tailed off really badly and we were looking at kind of the stats and whatever before we came on with this and might not expect you to remember the specific game, but your 
200th game for Barnet was um, John Still's final game in charge. We lost 3-0 at home to Farnborough Town, who were definitely part-time at that point. And there was about 700 people at Underhill there, which was, you know, 18 months after being in the Division 3 playoffs against Peterborough on the cusp of Division 2. Um, you know, that was obviously a huge, a huge change. Oh, and you've been with John Steele for all that time, apart from the brief Tony Cotty period. How kind of, you know, how different was that from... from how, was, it, was it a sad moment, the kind of the almost inevitable end of John still there? Could you see it coming? Was it, was it kind of time within the group? It was all accepted to move on? Um, to be honest with you, <laughs> I can't remember um, that specific time. But I do remember that, you know, you, you go with the times, you move on. You haven't got time to be sentimental and emotional and all the rest of it. You know, you're, you're playing for the team. Whoever's the manager, you know, you, you turn up the next day. Um, obviously Peter Shreves and uh, Martin Allen um, and they had, they had their own way of doing things um, and did John still move upstairs or no? Uh, that's no, that's what it went. Yeah um, and so it's like like a player you know if a manager wants to get rid of a player you can be his you know favourite player but all of a sudden if you're surplus to requirements you're gone and it's uh, you know they say there's no friends in football and, and to, to a large degree, there's not. You know, you're, you're a player until you're not wanted and you're gone. Um, and it's the same with the manager. You're there until you're not wanted and you're gone. That's the nature of the beast, you know, and it's, uh, that's what happens. But he went and those two came in. You know, Martin Allen, um, again, you, you, it's another podcast to talk all about the stories of Martin Allen. You know, what a character. Um, again, Marmite you know, to a lot of players, but great coach, you know, very, very good coach. Obviously played the game at, at a high level himself. And again, if he wants to get something done in training or he wants something to happen in the game, it will happen. You know, he's, uh, he knows the game inside out. And that is why he's been so successful in clubs where he's, he's gone and he's had to firefight, you know, whether it's Brentford or whatever club it's at, you know, he's, he's had success, in, especially at the start of going to the club. Yeah, I was going to say, James is going to talk a bit about that little era there, but just from the training ground and what you mentioned there, Martin Allen and Peter Shreves, not on paper, in person even, look like absolute chalk and cheese. Like, What was the dynamic totally. on the training ground there between those two? Totally, totally opposite, you know, and, and like I said about, with, with centre-backs, you know, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But Peter Shreves, again, as a, you know, a, as an old football fan, you know, was, was a bit of a legend, you know, obviously at Tottenham and all the rest of it, coming to, to Little Barnet. Um, you know, I think, wow, this is going to be amazing. But Tony, um, uh, Peter Shreves was just, he's just come out with gems of quotes, you know, and it will be, it will be crazy, you know, and, uh, but that's, that was his era, you know, and he he was a good man manager. The players liked him. He was a uh, softly spoken, but when he had to, when he had to, you know, lay it down, he would do. Whereas Martin Allen was was totally the opposite. You know, he would he'll be ranting and raving, and uh, you know, Peter Shreves would have to would calm him down. You know, and I remember once. You know, it was over at Firstfield and we're, we're having this training session and Martin Allen's really getting his training session when we're, we're running around and, and we're looking at the outside and Peter Shreves is just walking around the outside of the pitch in his tracksuit doing stretches. 
and he'd be doing <laughs> all these yoga stretches and you know touching his toes and and we're like and you can see out the corner of your eye and we're like and John Doonan's going you can imagine you know <laughs> you know and uh, so that would be going on then all of a sudden Peter Trees would walk into middle and, he, and he'd, in his softly spoken voice he'd say boys in we come and Martin Allen would be fuming you know because he's in the middle of a session but he can't argue with the gaffer so he'd come in and he'd, he'd say a few words of wisdom and he'd say right okay Danny Danny Nesbitt he said the ball's got ball going through to you and it's a 50-50 between you and the centre back running out to the ball who clears the ball right so Danny Nesbitt done it is there a right or wrong answer and he goes uh, um, I, I don't know boss I don't know he's gone well I'll tell you what if it's a 50-50 between you and the centre-back, you clear the ball. He's gone, okay. And he's gone, right, okay, back to work, off you go. And then he walks <laughs> off again and starts doing his stretches. You know, and, and then Martin Allen will be, have this look on his face, like, and he'd go back into it, you know. And it was, sort, it was that sort of dynamic where he'd every now and again say something. But, you know, Peter Shree's a very, very clever guy. Um, like I say, great man-manager. had a lot of time for Peter Shreves. And... Um, and like I say, I was getting towards, you know, the latter stages of my, my years, really. And he, he looked after me, he understood that an older player needs a, a bit more time and you just want them out there on a Saturday. Um, so, yeah, good guy. Fond memories of uh, Peter. Yeah, that, that um, Farmer game was a bit of a watershed moment, really, for the club, because it obviously it was the end of John Steele as a manager. Um, you know, you spoke about how you were so focused on the game, you wouldn't have noticed things. I remember remember it very well that there was a chap called uh, Steve Percy with his long silver locks that night. And the ground was open because the weather was so bad that they opened the whole whole ground. And he was able to walk around <laughs> the East Terrace, through the North Terrace, past the North West Terrace to give his opinion he- of the game. To, uh, to John Steele about how things were going on. James, my recollection is the ground was not open, but Steve Percy opened it. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is my recollection. The, 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 the doors mysteriously open. You can't pay a steward enough to keep that door shut. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. If, I, if, I, if I'm mistaken, then I'm happy to take it. That's a better story that the ground was not open, that Steve Percy sort of burst his way through. Uh, Peter Shreves, we've spoken about him a little bit. Uh, with his um, with his ways, but the results turned at that point. We 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 finished that season really well under Peter Shreves, and um, you know we went into the season with next season with a little bit of optimism. However, things in that season didn't quite turn out as as much as as good as they expected to be. We, but we kept a a good a good squad. We had Lee Harrison, we had yourself, we had Mark Arbor, John Doolan was still in the squad at the time, but we were very inconsistent. We couldn't put results together you know how frustrating was that that we had what was perceived on paper to be a pretty good squad but you know we couldn't get the results on the pitch yeah it was frustrating and like I say good players um, but again we were the, the team to beat you know because we were the ex-league club you know and conference clubs coming to us desperate to beat us we were all of a sudden you know we were seen as a big club and that's a change of dynamic from being little Barnet in the football league, and we've got that giant killing mentality to you know beat other teams. Other teams are doing that to us, and obviously when you turn up at Barnet and the surface, the grass was beautiful at that time. You know it was such a, a lovely pitch to play on. 
that um, it, it raised the games of a lot of teams. And, and again, we had lost that thing that we had in those first three years where there was a change of system where, you know, us players had been used to our, our way of playing and our set pieces and knowing exactly where the ball's going to go. So we were still, I think, in that transitional stage that meant that we were up and down a bit with results, you know. And, and for you as a player, I mean, I've <clears throat> been at the club quite a while at that point. I, I suppose I'm, I'm actually thinking more that kind of last season. I think 0203, if I, if I remember yeah. rightly, was that last right, year. Yeah. Was that, um, was, it, was it difficult being part of that, that team where you've, you've gone from that first season where we were so, so close against Colchester to being what, what would have been a Division two, two club then? And... Um, not through any personal fault of yours, you find yourself at the same club and it's, in a, and it's in a really different situation. Was that, did it get to a point where that was tough? Were you ready for a change? How, what was that, no, that kind of? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, it gets back to the fact that this is your job. This is your club. This is your, your job is to give 100% for whatever league you're in. You know, it really doesn't matter what league you're in. You're still going to not get frustrated because again, it's the best job in the world. You're still a professional footballer playing for Barnet in whatever league that is, you know, it's, um, you know, I don't hold that, that, you know, you, you lack in, if you're lacking motivation playing football, you know, for a career, then you've, you got to, I don't know, you got to, are you in the right job? You know, how long is that job going to last for you? If you, uh, if you're that weak mentally. Yeah. I mean, certainly not a lack of motivation, but definitely frustration. I think there wasn't that in your final last couple of months of the club. Certainly a lot of frustration, like Craig alluded to there. We had some top players like Go-Go's, Trevins and so on. And, you know, for whatever reason, it wasn't happening. Um, it was particularly that turn of the year period, not long before you left the club. We, I think we went sort of eight weeks without a win. Yeah. Um, you said earlier, you've not got the best memory for games. One that stands out in what was a really poor year in your final season for the club was, uh, I don't know if you remember this, because you did get a goal in the game, was Halifax away a few weeks before you left. Um, they were like the form team in the league. Uh, absolutely, I think they'd won sort of six in a row. Chris Wilder was their manager at the time, I think. He's obviously doing brilliantly now. And we went up there having not won since Boxing Day. It was like mid-February. And we were falling up within about 40 minutes. So you definitely got one, a go got one. Yeah, um, I do remember it, yeah. Any memories that day? Because it's not on yeah. the but it was a highlight for us, certainly. Yeah, I do remember that game because, like I say, Halifax, you know, were quite a big club, actually, you know, from up there. And... I remember the stadium was like a concrete jungle, wasn't it? It was this big yeah. stadium and there was a lot of stands empty and whatever. But, you know, it's a big occasion for us. Um, and I, I two, two things I remember from that. I remember the goal, uh, because it was a headed goal, I think, funny yeah. enough, but I think it might have even come off my shoulder. But anyway, um, and I also remember Martin Allen hitting me on the head. Um, <laughs> and again, like I said about how you motivate players, I'm, I'm sitting there and I was one of those before a game I'd been deep in thought you know just sitting there towel over my head whatever and as we're about to go out he's come past and he's he's whacked me on the head on the back of the head to and as I've looked up because I I mean I'm, the red mist has come down a bit just, <laughs> I've looked up and he's he's looked at me and he's on the fist and he said come on let's, and I, I just I wanted to kill him I think you're dealing with here you know and um and I just remember that and thinking that, and whether that motivated me or not, but I went out there real angry, real angry <laughs> player. So, 
you know, he'll probably say that he did on purpose. You know, I, I've got me other thoughts on that. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I remember that. But I remember, yeah, it was a great game, great result. You know, whenever you go up north, because, again, we're little Barnet, you know, we're, we're stopping off at little service stations or we're, we're buttering our bread on the coaches, you know, making sandwiches on the way. You know, it was uh, – and to, to go all the way up north, you're seen as soft southerners, you know, and to come back with a result like that was, was tremendous. I do remember that game. Like Ian said, that was that was not long before eventually you left the club. It was a few weeks before and uh, Peter Shrees resigned uh, and Martin Allen took charge of one game and that was actually your last game for the club. I think you played at home to Hereford, I think it was. It was a 2-1 victory. Um, but yourself, Lee Harrison and, and Wayne Purser all moved to Leighton Orient on the same day. Um, was that an odd experience for you, like leaving the club after after that amount of time, and and especially in the circumstances, going with two other players that you played with for, for so long, certainly in in the in the um, in the guys Lee Harrison. Yeah, it was weird. It was weird and it was unexpected because again, I was thirty odd years of age. I can't remember exactly what I was, you know, and and uh, so you think, right, I'm at Barnet. I've been here six years. This is where I'm going to finish, and you know, um, so it was unexpected. Um, but again, you know, I, I'd like to think that, you know, I gave Barnett six good years, you know, ups and downs and never once, hand on heart, can I say I gave, you know, less than 100% when I played, you know, had some terrible games and all the rest of it, like everyone. But, um, you know, I don't, I think I gave them my service, you know, and and there was a chance all of a sudden to, to go to Orient, which was a, a big club, you know, met, you know, the chairman was Barry Hearn and uh, Martin Ling and Paul Brush were, with a management team. Um, I, I grew up in Leighton Orient with regards to my youth team. You know, I was from 11 to 16. I was at Leighton Orient as a you know, young lad and schoolboy forms. So I knew the club. And for me personally, it was, it was a, a nice move. You know, I was, I was going to a club, I was getting a bit of security. I was back in the football league. Um, so being selfish, you know, it was, it was a good move for me, but obviously, you know, it was, it was bad times to be leaving Barnet, you know, in, who weren't in a great position at the time. But in all walks of life, sometimes you have to look after yourself a little bit, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I, don't think anyone, I don't think anyone would really begrudge you that. In the direction that Barnet were going, and for you personally to make that decision, I don't think anyone would say that's a bad decision and, and no one would hold that against you, I wouldn't have said. Yeah, and, I, and obviously the, the club, think, things like the Yara point, you turned around, Martin Allen did a great job when he came in and the year after that, Fairclub got back up and you know things were a bit better for a while. From your own point of view, you were Orient for a year and then uh, move up north to Rochdale, which I guess was a bit of a change of scene from, you know, you'd always been quite south-based, you said a bit, but you were sort of commuting from this part of the world. Uh, was that a big change for you to go and play? I know you played Rochdale and then briefly at Ashton United. Is that part of the world? Yeah, I mean, that was mad times. You know, that was mad times. I'd, I'd got an injury um, at Orient, which meant I couldn't play for a long time. Um, and I went there as captain. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to think I did enough to, to keep them up in that league. And, and that was what I went there for. It's a bit of a panic buy, really. You know, they were slipping down the league a bit like Barnett did in that year. And they needed a couple of wins. And... So they signed, obviously, Lee as a goalkeeper and Wayne Purser and myself. And we got enough points to stay up. And in that, that next year, I, got, I had an operation. So I was out for a long time. Um, but then I started getting some really good uh, physio and rehabilitation from a guy called John Green, who's 
you know, one of the best physios in the game. He was a West Ham physio. And so I was getting fitter and stronger and stronger. So I played some reserve games at the back end and felt as good as I'd felt in years. And Steve Parkin was the manager of Rochdale at the time. And it gets back to how it can be a funny game sometimes. So he remembered me from that, that game where I've, you know, when I scored those two goals and how, how I played and I scored those two goals. And, you know, it's one of the best influential games I played. So he remembered that. And Rochdale at that time was slipping down the league and needed a couple of results. He was also friends with John Doolan. Uh, Steve Parkin from Mansfield and his little connections like that and so he rung me up and because I knew at the time I wasn't getting another contract at Orion and said do you fancy it I said well yeah I haven't really got a lot of a lot of other options and it was almost transferred deadline it wasn't long and uh, I basically had to make my mind up then so I remember leaving Leighton Orient literally I got changed to train and the manager told me about this move I then went and got me gear back on again, went home, packed a suitcase, and I'm on the M, M1, M6, going up to um, Rochdale, not knowing where it was, um, getting directions off to sat-navs and everything else. And that's how quickly, you know, life can change in football. And so we ended up living up there. My wife gave up her job that she had in Barnet for, you know, 20-odd years. And all of a sudden, you're up north, living up north. You know, it's um, you have to go where the... The opportunities are. Yeah, no, no. And then obviously you did a bit of the time there, and then as the next couple of years progressed, maybe the latter stages of your career, played a few non-league clubs. Um, I mean, we're going to talk about what, what you did next. You alluded to it earlier. Do you kind of started preparing for life after football at that point, and you decided you weren't going to try and get on the coaching route, or was that all quite open? Yeah, no. It's um, you get to the point where you're starting to get like one-year contracts, and you're getting injuries, and it's you start to see the ugly side of the game. And uh, it gets very insecure and it gets very cutthroat. And, you know, at Rochdale was, was a prime example. You know, we, we had a great team at Rochdale, uh, but we had probably the oldest back four or five in history. You know, we were like in our 30s, and, but we had a great defence, you know, and we had the record for the amount of games not being beat and all the rest of it. And so you presume we're going to get another contract and all of a sudden you don't. And then you're like, what am I going to do? So I vowed that, I went to Aldershot and I've got to start. I can't put my family through moving all the time and kids moving schools. So I had to think about a secure job. So um, cut a long story short, I went in the fire service to start with. I finished off my degree that I'd done a couple of years off previously. Um, I went in the fire service and then thought that really wasn't for me. And I had an opportunity to go into teaching um, and that ticked a lot of boxes for me, you know, and uh, and that's what I'm doing now. And it's it's a great job to, to do. And so I had a year as the Wickham Wanderers youth team coach. An opportunity came up after the fire service with uh, Paul Lambert and Ian Culverhouse. Um, Gary Carza uh, helped to get me there, who was obviously the youth team yeah. uh, main man at Barnet. And thoroughly enjoyed it. It was great experience and all the rest of it. And... You know, Matt, Matt Phillips, you know, who's at um, West Brom. He was yeah, one of yeah. my boys in, in my in my group and a few of the other lads. So I absolutely loved it. And I learned a lot about myself. But um, it was all consuming. You know, it was two hours to get there, two hours to get back. You know, not seeing my family. And my family's a big thing to me, you know. And 
I wouldn't have seen him grown up if I'd have stayed there. You know, you're the first one at the club. You're the last one to leave when you're the youth team manager. So, you know, I, I, I had to find something else. And that's how my, my career ended up, you know, getting to where it is now. Is it a sport? Is it PE sport, like, based teacher role or is it something else? Yeah, PE. Yeah. 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 So it still serves the game loosely then? In some, in some Absolutely, way. yeah. I still, I still tell them I'm the... Uh, top signing, the record signing. So long that may that continue. So over, over six years at the club, clearly you play with a lot of players. Um, would you say that there's any individuals that stood out as perhaps the best players that you ever played with? Um, so Darren Curry was um, obviously unbelievable feat, you know, and it, I was lucky in training that, Again, there wasn't a proper referee in training when I was training and I could just, I could never guess what way he was going to go. So I just used to try and wrap my legs either side of the ball and if he went left, I'd get it. If he went right, I'd get it, you know. And uh, But he was good enough just to chip it over my feet. You know, he was had unbelievable ability and hence why he went on to play for, for great clubs. Um, I, I was a big fan of John Doolan as a, as a person, as a player. You know, I don't think the fans ever really... Um, appreciated how much he did and uh, what, what a player he was, you know, because he, he had some bad games and I think when he had bad games, they, they shone out a little bit. But um, he, he was a very capable player. Um, you know, there, there was good players in their own little ways, you know, like um, like I said, Mark Harbour could ping a great ball. Mike Basham, you know, had a, had a wand of a foot as well when he played. Um, uh you know, and I, I learned a lot. We even had um, Guy Butters. Yeah, yeah, Guy Butters. I mean, he was, I think he was right. one of the main reasons why Peter Shreve left in the end. You know, there was, uh, you know, that's for another story. Um, mm. But um, he, playing alongside him, you know, there was, uh, um, I learned a lot of someone like Guy Butters, you know, as a, an ex-Spurs player and all the rest of it. But, um, you know, there was, that first year, there were some good players, un unsung heroes. Mickey Hull, you know, solid left back. You know, um, Sam Stockley, Mark Gower. You know, some some good players that came on later. So lots of great players. You know, Barnet had been blessed with some really good players that went on to bigger and better things. But um, yeah. Greg, look, we've taken so much of your time this evening. We really, really appreciate it. Um, oh, my pleasure. We. Um, if, there, if there's one thing I could ask as we as we close would be whether you've actually been to the Hive now uh, as, a, as an Underhill legend, whether you've been to the Hive. We, we admittedly don't go uh, so much ourselves now. That really was our era, the Underhill era. But um, maybe as a nice finishing piece just to um, mention any thoughts about the club now, I suppose, and, and where you see it. Yeah, I have been. I've been a, a few times. Um, it is weird that it's not in Barnet and uh, as you know, it's so sad that you said that, that you know, that you don't go very often to, to have the knowledge that you have about the history of Barnet and uh, to not go and support them as, as your club and get to, to the hive. It speaks volumes, doesn't it, really? But um, as I think some of the other boys have said on this, that it's an unbelievable setup down there. You know, the, all the pictures around it and the stadium is, you know, it's all geared for for being in league football and going on to bigger and better things. It just needs some money put behind it, unfortunately, because that's, that's life, isn't it? And um, a bit of security, you know, they've had so many different managers, you know, I thought Darren Curry was doing well and all of a sudden I couldn't believe it when I heard that he was, he was off. Um, so, 
you know, I've, I've enjoyed going over there, you know, when I, I save up my money and I can afford to, to get there. Um, <laughs> you know, and I've, I've seen some good games there and it's weird. It's so weird when you're, you're sitting in the stand, you know, watching a, the game. And I've met Grazzi a few times over there and we've sat together and, and reminisced. Um, so, yeah, it still holds, you know, fond memories, massive fond memories for me. Um, I, you know, I'll never forget it. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a shame that... Uh, Underhill is no longer. No, we feel that. And look, um, maybe uh, when things are a bit more normal, we've said it to, to, to some of the other guys, if we can buy you a beer to say thank you down at the Hive or at some point, we'd really like to do that. To so, save up uh, your money down the Hive, that, maybe go around the corner. <laughs> if you, if you want to try going to a chicken shop there, I'll tell you what, it's quite expensive. You've got to be careful. Right. More money in the chairman's pocket. Um, <laughs> we'll, uh, anyway, look, thank you so much for your time this evening, Greg. And... Uh, yeah, been a really good one. Really, really good one. Oh, it's been you. a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All the best. Take Robinson on. He's on it. And there's goal of the season. Frank Murphy. Giuliano Grazioli. Oh, absolute quality. I'm sure most people would say I was mad. It's time!